I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service with the end of the week news wrap. For the week ending November the 2nd, 2019, Steve Taylor, uh, what are we looking at today? Well, uh, it was a very busy week, Mario, so I've got quite a list for you. 11 or 12 items. I I think maybe you can interject at some point and uh, give us an update on some of the things you covered. Um, So uh, I'll I'll start at the beginning of the week, and and, uh, it was a busy week, in part because I was missing in action for a while. Um, didn't really uh, get back to the valley till um, uh, late Monday night, and but while I was away on assignment in Mexico, uh, I picked up a good story for you, and for probably the students we we we're connected with over at Vanguard Academy, uh, they're going to start doing video work with us, and so I've got some work for them to edit and perhaps an audio piece from you. Had a great uh, visit with um a guy who is a, a campesino and he wants his name's Jesus and he wanted to talk about the life of a campesino in, in a rancho in a very um, deserted part of uh, Mexico like miles miles off the beaten track and what it's like to, to live off the land so it's a fascinating interview we got, we got video as well so uh, hasn't seen the light of day on the Rio Grande Guardian yet but it was the start of the week, the news week for me, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think it could turn out to be quite a good little project, uh, particularly for our students at Vanguard who um, are going to be helping with our, with our video production. So uh, that's going to be fun, and you'll, I'll be sending you um, audio and video on that soon. Yeah, that's right, Steve, and uh, as a matter of fact, I do have some Vanguard uh, audio podcasts that I'm working on. What else have we got? Well, because I was away, uh, there were two um, events that I know you were involved in one of them, and I'd like to give uh, a shout-out to those because we didn't, because I was away on assignment, I didn't get to do a week in review last week. So the two things that came up while I was away, the first of which you covered, I think we should give a, a mention to this, the work of the Texas Border Coalition. They had, right at the end of last week, they had a, their quarterly meeting on South Padre Island, and the top issue, as you were telling me, uh, was the census. Census 2020, it's just around the corner. There's tremendous concern uh, in in the valley among community leaders, elected officials, that we will not get a very accurate count uh, because traditionally uh, we have very hard-to-count communities, uh, families that are not particularly... Uh, involved in, in dealing with the government and uh, wanting to be uh, uh, left alone. They live um, um, sort of under the radar, and uh, they may be difficult to count. If they don't get counted, then we lose federal funding and state funding because a lot of our programs are based on population, and um, our um, elected representation is diminished because if there are fewer people counted in the valley, then our state house districts and our congressional districts, they have to stretch further to get the required population. So, you know, it could make the difference between an an extra state representative for our region, uh, maybe a congressional seat. So I know all the elected officials in all the communities are pushing hard. Many of them have got complete count committees. But so... I know that the Texas Border Coalition focused on that. Tell us what happened at SBI on, on the island. 
with that meeting and how involved the Texas Border Coalition is going to be. First of all, I do want to mention that uh, Cameron County Judge Eddie Trevino was selected as the uh, chairman of the uh, Texas Border Coalition, and he was there. I've got a podcast ready on that. Uh, you'll be listening to yes. that podcast first chance you get. Uh, the, the, there was a panel discussion. Several officials from Cameron, Hidalgo County, we even had a representative from the U.S. Census Bureau. And you know what? There's been census count efforts, census accurate count efforts going on since 2017. Officials are determined not to have an undercount. Uh, One of the panelists mentioned the fact that uh, there was a severe undercount in the uh, ages five and under categories. Wow. Estimates varied as far as the amount of money lost, Steve, because one estimate says we could lose as much as $1,600 per person. Listen to that podcast uh, with the uh, Border Mm -hmm. Coalition panel. Uh, They're discussing Mm -hmm. the uh, initiatives that uh, officials have taken on in Cameron and Hidalgo counties, uh, specifically to Mm -hmm. ensure an accurate count, Steve. Yes, and I know that podcast um, I was speaking to our team, and that's going to get posted today. Uh, I understand that will be out today, the Texas Border Coalition event, and, and that big discussion on the census. So so um, our, our listeners uh, should definitely check out our website and uh, connect to that, because it was a big, important, a very important meeting on a very important issue, and, and, and the publicity and the, uh, and the visibility uh, the Valley's efforts to get a complete count is only going to grow in the in the weeks and months ahead. And remember, Census 2020 takes place April the 1st of next year. And this, so the second event I missed, uh, Ron Whitlock kindly stepped in and covered this for us. I was really disappointed I could not attend. But the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation, led by Mario Lozoya, had the third, I believe it's the third in the series of uh, events for that program they have, that award-winning program called We Grow Our Own. And the idea is to make sure that the students in the Rio Grande Valley, particularly Brownsville, are educated, have the skill set for, as Mario says, the, jo- the jobs of tomorrow. And, um, and so we're talking about high-skilled uh, jobs um, that are coming in. And so a, a lot of the focus is, is ensuring that uh, the, the students, those that are so inclined, are really um, knowledgeable about in in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math. And so um, I know that uh, Mario gave a shout-out to that robotics program that First RGV runs in the Rio Grande Valley. And, uh, in fact, uh, Mario, was t- we did write about this, that um, Toyota... And, of course, Mario used to be an executive with Toyota in San Antonio. But one of the other plants Toyota has in the United States, they sent along two robots, rather large robots, uh, that Mario was asked for. They were discarding. Uh, he thinks they would be great tools for the students to learn about robotics from. One of them is going to Texas Southmost College. The other is going to the uh, Brownsville Independent School District. So... I know that I know he mentioned that in this in this forum uh, on we grow our own. So we you you and I did a podcast uh, with Mario 
where he explained that program. So I wanted to mention that, even though technically it happened at the back end of last week, uh, it didn't get um, the, the recognition in the Red Bandy Guardian until the beginning of this week. Okay, moving on to the next item, which is called Opportunity Zones. Um, our colleague Blanca Gomez kindly covered this event for us. It was put on, I think, Monday morning, early Monday morning, by the Greater McCallum Realtors Association. And uh, the keynote speaker, I believe, was Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez. So what is an opportunity zone? Well, um, according to the government, the federal government, an opportunity zone is a designation created by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, and it allows for certain investments in lower-income areas to have tax advantages. And the purpose of the program is to put capital to work that would otherwise be locked up due to an asset holder's unwillingness to trigger a capital gains tax. I know these opportunity zones are taking off in the valley. I know that, for example, they have two in Westlaco because I, I did a tour of Westlaco the new projects that the Westerco Economic Development Corporation is working on, and we were, we had a bus tour and we toured um, around the city, and there were two areas which have been designated as opportunity zones. I think the the county gets involved in in um, in recognising which areas are opportunity zones because of our um, the economic plight of many of our communities. There's a lot of our zones a lot of areas in the valley that could qualify as an opportunity zone. But Blanca did that uh, piece, and that was very, very, very interesting. Okay, and so the next item, this has been the last week, and the only week, I believe, for early voting in the constitutional amendments that we're going to vote on next week. And so uh, that opportunity to vote early is over with. If you haven't voted yet and you are interested, then um, you'll have to vote on election day. But there's been there's a bunch of propositions, um, 10 or 12 or so, but the three that have really um, been highlighted in the Valley, promoted in the Valley, uh, are Propositions 2, 5 and 8. Proposition 2 is that proposition that would allow a stable funding source for the EDAP program. That's the Economically Disadvantaged areas program that's run by the Texas Water Development Board and basically it puts funding into economically disadvantaged areas uh, including obviously uh, the real Randy Valley's colonias and so that proposition has been very strongly supported by State Senator Eddie Lucio from Brownsville who authored the legislation that set up this proposition also State Representative Mary Gonzalez from El Paso and they, they jointly did a video which we re-aired uh, to tell people about Proposition 2. Valley Interfaith has been um, strongly supporting Proposition 2. We did a live stream a couple of weeks ago with Eddie and I up from Valley Interfaith. Uh, Mari Regalado uh, did the interview there. And also this week we posted an op-ed from the Methodist Ministries of South Texas, uh, also supportive of um, uh, Proposition 2. If we move on to Proposition 5, uh, that we're interested in that because we got a... I'm going to pull this up now. We got a an editorial, an op-ed, from State Representative Mondo Martinez 
from uh, Westlaco who said, Steve, this is uh, an issue that the public needs to know about. Proposition 5, he says this would be a vote for an investment in our economy, heritage and families. That's the title. But basically, there's going to be more funding for state parks. Uh, the one he features is in his district, Estero Llano Grande State Park. But I know we've got a couple of other state parks in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, so there's going to be more funding if the voters of Texas support Proposition 5, heavily supported by Mondo Martinez. And Mondo mentions all this because he is a member, I think he's actually the vice chairman of uh, the Heritage Com Committee in the Texas House. And then the final proposition that's got a lot of um, coverage in the Rio Grande Valley is uh, Proposition 8, which sets up um, a statewide funding source for flood control and flood, flood water programs. Um, very recently, State Representative Dade Phelan from the Beaumont area, he chairs the House State Affairs Committee. He came down, had a press conference with, among others, the Galbraith County Commissioner David Fuentes, and they were both pushing Proposition 8. First, it'll be the first time the states got involved in having a funding source for flood control measures. Usually that's done at the county level um, or the district level. And the funding is going to come from the, um, the uh, Rainy Day Fund, which is a fund the state has on tap uh, set aside from the general revenue budget. And the money comes from the oil and gas revenues the state receives. So... According to um, Representative Phelan, uh, there's plenty of money in that rainy day fund for programs like this uh, because our economy has been pretty healthy thanks to oil and gas revenues. Uh, it's going to be replenished again when the legislature meets again in the next session. And therefore, I think it's seven or eight hundred million will be put into um, uh, into this uh, floodwater. Um, investment funding uh, programs. But again, a big supporter, we have to mention this, Agago County Commissioner David Fuentes, he does know his staff on this. I've interviewed him, I've seen him at the, uh, at the press conference, and he's probably the, the, the major champion for, for this proposition. And of course, with good reason, with all the flooding issues Westerco's had uh, over the last few years, Westerco and Mid Valley in particular, Fuentes represents Precinct one. So that was this week. That was important this week because it was the early voting week. The next subject I'd like to bring up was actually my personal favourite of the week. Uh, it involved a visit to Reynosa for a meeting put on of all people by Texas. Unusual for our state agency to have a, a, an event in a different country, but they did. And at the state office, a lot of uh, Texas officials were there, staffers, and they were there to talk about, promote the Border Transportation Master Plan. They're currently developing a new master plan for the border region. They're going to different parts of the Texas-Mexico border, including El Paso and Laredo, etc. But this past week, it was the Valley's turn, and you know the folks from Reynosa and, um, and um, Matamoros, Rio Bravo, etc. were there. Um, yeah, very interesting, a very absorbing meeting, lots of a, big, a very good PowerPoint presentation. We had the Valley officials uh, present for the meeting, uh, the bridge directors for Cameron County, for Fire, for uh, McAllen Stroke Mission, 
for Rio Grande City. And uh, the two big takeaways for me, I mean, it's really interesting to see what they're planning and what they're prioritising as the major corridors. But um, I'd say the two two things that I want to focus on, and and these stories are coming out pretty soon, we've got a great interview with Carlos Castillo, who is a representative for the city of Rio Bravo, which obviously Rio Bravo has the bridge with Donna, the Donna Rio Bravo International Bridge. And he got up in the meeting and told Techstop, you're forgetting about us. You're not mentioning, I don't see anything in the PowerPoint about how important the Donna Bridge is going to be. He says it's a really high-tech bridge. It's got the latest facilities. Within a year or so, they should be in a position to have uh, fully loaded trucks going both ways. I think I've got the timeline of that correct. But he says that can really help ease congestion on, say, the fire bridge, which takes so many of the trucks coming into the valley and leaving the valley. And so Carlos made a good... And I heard, I saw afterwards how Carlos was in deep discussions with Texas officials to tell them, and they were, I think they were assuring him that Donna, your brother, is not going to get left out. That was really interesting. The other aspect, I, I would say, which was fascinating, Sam Vale, representing the Star Camargo International Bridge in Rio Grande City, he made the point that all these projections with USMCA kicking in, there's just more and more uh, international trade between the US and Mexico, and so much of it comes across the uh, World Trade Bridge in Laredo. But he made the point, Sam Vale, that you can increase the number of trucks by thousands more at the World Trade Bridge and still you have bottlenecks, you still have, you still would not be able to move the trucks fast enough. And he was urging, if I understand this correct, he was urging TechStop to have an east-west corridor, not just keep thinking north-south, north-south, that there needs to be a corridor from the radar to the valley so that um, trucks can have different options as to which bridges to cross. So I would say that was my um, personal favourite of the week, uh, the event I enjoyed covering the most. So, so interesting and very important long-term for our region and how TechStop develops this master plan for transportation. Um, next, next item, because I was there in Reynosa, could not cover, disappointed not to cover personally, the, the, the new Rio Grande Valley MPO, Metropolitan Planning Organization, our colleague Sean Gonzalez was there. Um, and there, one of the items was they finally selected a new executive director. It's going to be Andrew Cannon, who um, is obviously well known in the Valley uh, and among transportation leaders because he was executive director of the Hidalgo County MPO. And as we all know, that, that MPO folded along with the Harlem's and San Benito MPO and the Brownsville MPO. And this valley-wide MPO was created. And they're even talking about Star County and Wilson County being added to that MPO. Well, the decision has been made by the new MPO, Andrew Cannon, is going to move across and become executive director. So that was quite a good issue to be uh, covering this week. Another issue that uh, Sean Gonzalez had before us, this PARTS project, T-A-T-H-S, PARTS project that Doctors Hospital Renaissance is running, and it involves 
trying to get a, a pipeline of high school students interested in the world of healthcare, not just doctors becoming a doctor or becoming a nurse, but all the allied health um, opportunities there are. There's a huge um, need for more healthcare professionals in the valley, and so they have this program called Paths. And uh, there were, I think, 10 school districts represented at this event at the Edinburgh Conference Centre at Renaissance. And uh, uh, Sean interviewed Elisa Alvarado from DHR. And uh, we're going to learn more about that program. Um, four school districts from all four counties in the Valley were there uh, because we do need more healthcare uh, professionals in the Valley. The industry's growing fast. And uh, they need to ensure that if you catch the kids early enough um, within the high school level, you can, they can be on a career path and uh, learn the, the skills they need to, to, to become professionals in the healthcare industry. So that's another issue. Uh, where do we go from there? Let's see. Let me get my list. Because um, we're pausing here. When we had next... Oh, yeah, I would, I'd like to go back to transportation for a minute. As I say, I was at the Texas, the Texas Department of Transportation uh, Master Plan. So TxDOT clearly is putting a lot of emphasis, emphasis, as it should, given just how interwoven our, the Texas-Mexico economies are, on making sure that we have uh, the trucks are moving uh, very efficiently across our borders. So that happens, and then I think it was the very next day the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Dan Patrick, put, issued the Senate interim charges. Those are the charges that the different Senate committees are asked to consider um, in the interim before the next legislative session in uh, 2021. And I just didn't see anything about uh, studying what the state can do to improve infrastructure uh, investment along our bridges. And you can argue that these bridges are international in nature because they, they, they well, the, all the vehicle movements and passenger movements, they, they, they're going into, a, um, into Mexico. Therefore, that becomes an international issue, a federal issue a state, at the federal level. However, we do know that the state puts a lot of money into border security, which is, is also obviously a, a federal issue, but the state kicks in money there. And I was just surprised. I don't know if anyone else has been surprised by that. Um, for example, the city of McAllen, they have been trying to get the state to kick in some money so they can develop the Anzaduras International Bridge. It needs more infrastructure if it's ever going to take fully loaded trucks north and southbound. Uh, Mayor Jim Darling says because he didn't get any money at the federal level, he didn't get any money at the state level, he's ready to, to issue bonds to get funds. So McCallum does its own work. It, it, spend, it finds its own funding source to improve the Anzaduras Bridge. Anzaduras Bridge, they want that developed, one, because it raises money for McCallum through the tolls, but also all the McKeelers, a lot of the McKeelers in uh, Reynosa, are asking for Anzaduras. They've been asking for many years. They need an alternative. Uh, a lot of the Makilas are on the west side of Reynosa. It would be very um, helpful to have Anzaduras fully developed um, so they didn't have to go across town and go across the Fala Bridge. So McCallum didn't get anywhere with its efforts to get federal money, didn't get anywhere this past legislative session 
uh, at the state level. And I just would have thought that those interim charges would have included something that says the state should be taking a look at um, what, whether the state can help in improving in- infrastructure at our international bridges. Um, we've got USMCA presumably coming when, when Congress finally ratifies it. Uh, it's going to be a, a lot of activity um, with investments in this area. It's going to be good. The certainty, that's the big thing, the certainty that USMCA brings to investors and companies that uh, want to expand, etc. USMCA is going to kick in soon. And it just didn't look this week, this past week, when those interim charges were issued, that uh, the state, at the Senate, in the Senate at least, uh, thinks that's an issue worth covering. And that, that, that moves on to our next uh, topic, which uh, relates to all this. Yesterday, South Texas College held its seventh annual innovation conference. Uh, it does this obviously every year. They're always very well. They're always very good programs put on by, by uh, the Dean of Business, Mario Reina. And uh, this, this year's uh, focus was USMCA. So we had experts talking about not just the, the local economy, the, the state economy, the implications of USMCA, but a, a big focus on manufacturing uh, on both sides of the border. I have to say that was a really good um, conference to attend. We haven't covered it. We, we did a preview story with Dr. Kevin Peake, an economics professor from STC, but uh, our review of the conference, um, that was coming out soon. But that was a really good one. And then we ended the week, you and I, with this live stream with Rolando Vela, who uh, has been, for the last 10 years, a city manager for Laguna Vista. And we wanted to catch up with Rolando to find out what his next moves are. He's um, very experienced in in working for cities in the valley and also in the private sector because he was the governmental affairs director for quite a few years for Time Warner. And uh, I think he created some news there. Uh, you'll, you'll be aware of this when he talked about a second causeway to South Padre Island. And I had asked, as I interviewed him on Facebook for this live event, I said, basically, the efforts of the Cannon County Regional Mobility Authority to get that second causeway going it had sort of been put on pause because at the state level, the state's saying no to any toll road projects. The state is now against toll projects. And uh, therefore, the second causeway falls by the wayside because it was planned to be a toll project. They can't do it without, without that revenue, revenue stream going forward. Rolando, who clearly has been involved in the discussions, because if we get, when we get that second causeway, it will be, as he pointed out, in Laguna Vista, it'll be on their, in their territory. He must be aware of some, some of the discussions going on. And he has an opinion that it'll end up being a non-toll project with more money coming in from the federal government. That was really interesting to, to learn. So that was another issue we covered this week. And that's a lot to, to digest, I know. <laughs> in a podcast, Mario, but um, as I said, there was a lot of good things going on. 
Well, yes, that's right. Uh, we've got one of the longest podcasts we've ever had in the history of the news wraps. <laughs> but I and I still I have an, I, I still have an item to add, Steve, because uh, we need to address okay. the first idea public school uh, ever established here in Harlingen. Uh, Idea Public Schools broke ground on their first uh, Idea School here in Harlingen. And on that podcast that I just sent you, we're going to hear from a lot of folks uh, connected with Idea Schools. And um, Senator Eddie Lucia was there. Uh, Of course, we're going to hear from Tom Torkelson. He has some really great stuff to say uh, from a from a newspaper or reporting standpoint. Uh, he's good for the quotes. So believe me, listen to that podcast, the uh, establishment of the first idea public school here in Harlingen. I'm looking forward to listening to that. I haven't heard it yet, Mario, but I do know that because I know the questions you're going to ask. And he gets, Tom Torkelson gets asked this a lot. How do you answer the critics that say you're just taking the cream of the crop away? A lot of teachers that work in, uh, in traditional school districts are of this opinion. A lot of superintendents are. We know this. It's been reported on over the years. And uh, he had some very interesting responses to that. I'm not going to uh, tease uh, what he said in any way, but... But I know you, you got that interview, and so we're looking forward to seeing what Tom Tortison That's right. That That's absolutely right, and I'm not going to give it away. Yes, Maria, you always, when we do these podcasts, you always ask me, where am I on, on location when the interview takes place? Uh, Steve, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this in the podcast. Usually I'll edit it out, but you know what? Your signal is cutting out because of the fact that you happen to be out in the field. So can you go ahead and <laughs> Go over that. I'm going to leave it in the podcast just just so you folks know what happens, you know, sometimes when you're out in the field, this cutout. Uh, go ahead and start up again about where you are. Well, so actually, Mario, today I'm in Reynosa. I'm over here for some discussions with some, some of the leaders, some of, maybe the team captain and the manager for a soccer team that uh, is based in Reynosa. We sponsored them in the past when the season starts. Uh, they're in a league called Unidos por Tamaulipas, and uh, they play on Wednesday and Thursday nights, seven aside. I think there's 18 teams in the league. Uh, I'm pleased to say that they're currently third in the league, so they're doing rather well. I think they've only lost one game, and uh, they have been wearing uh, a uniform, soccer, uh, shirts, shorts, etc., um, but although we are, we have been sponsoring them in the past, we haven't got our logo on those shirts. So they wanted to see if we would continue or resurrect our, our association. As I was saying, we we are sponsoring a cricket event, a cricket tournament in uh, the Rio Grande Valley in West that's being held in Westaco right now, um, put on by the Indus Association of the Rio Grande Valley. But it is a, a soccer project, a soccer tournament. And we have a, a, an interest in a team that reached out to us a few years ago. And so Red Valley Guardian is going to uh, be helping this team, um, which we, and we enjoy watching soccer like we do cricket. And that's the news wrap for the Rio Grande Guardian for the week ending November the 2nd, 2019. I'm Mario Munoz reporting with Steve Taylor. 